Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel journalist and editor. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. And what a guest we have today. Her name may conjure the smell of lime, basil and mandarin or the citrusy scent of pomelo. These are just a couple of the classic fragrances that took her from life on a council estate with no qualifications after leaving school and catapulted her into becoming one of the world's most successful business people, creating two global brands. First, Joe Malone London, and now Joe Loves. It is, of course, Joe Malone. Now, we all know Joe for revolutionizing the way that we wear fragrance. But what you might not know is how these scents are in many ways a product of the travels that Joe has been on. And in this episode, she really evokes so vividly the destinations that have shaped her life. I think it's fair to say that Joe's been on quite a journey. We talk about some of the amazing highs and some of the life-changing lows, but what pervades throughout is how extraordinarily inspirational Joe is as a person and a businesswoman and how important travel has been to her over the years. So no surprises then that this is a long haul feature length episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Let's hear now from Jo Malone, CBE. Well, Jo Malone, I can't believe we're here. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Travel Diaries. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Snowing this morning, Holly. Um, I'm really happy to be here and thrilled to be asked. I love doing podcasts. Love them. And do you love traveling? I love travel. I love culture. I love meeting new people. I love, I mean, that's life, isn't it? The adventure of life. Yeah, absolutely. So we're here in your Belgravia Jo Love store and this has to be the best smelling interview I'll ever do. I'm sure we're enveloped in the smell of white rose and lemon leaves. Mm, yeah. I mean, when it's snowing outside, it's like really it, transporting us somewhere else, isn't it? So the fun, funniest minute this morning was walking out of the taxi, getting in, and we just put orange trees up for uh, a launch today. Yeah. So there's oranges growing in Elizabeth Street and it's snowing. So it's a, a magical moment, that's for sure. And this shop is of particular significance to you, isn't it? So yes, Elizabeth Street is, um, it has a really kind of wonderful story connected with it. So when we started Jo Loves, we were looking for a home for her. She needed, she, you know, when you create brands and you create a product, it's like you're inviting people to come into your home. So you need a home. Mm-hmm. So we were looking for a shop and everyone was uh, was saying, oh, you know, are you sure you want to do a shop and are you sure you want to do this? And it was like, yeah, yeah, I want a freestanding store. And I had these crazy ideas in my mind, i.e. a tapas bar for your nose and a shop candle cocktail bar. I didn't tell anyone about those just yet, but I knew that in order to fulfill that dream, I needed to find a home. Mm-hmm. So it was my birthday and mm-hmm. my husband handed me this little box and it was a key and uh, I'm dyslexic and I can't drive so I knew it wasn't a car I loved my house and my home so it wasn't another house and he's it was a shop and we actually I was born on the 5th of November we came down here on my birthday got cups of coffee and bacon sandwiches from Tom's down the road sat on that step put the key in the door and I realized this was where I was at 16 years old and it was one of my first jobs and it was owned by a man called Justin DeBlanc 
and it was a delicatessen. I'd worked in the flower shop on the corner. And so I had returned all the way back to where I first started. Oh. And where we're sitting right now in the mm-hmm. Candleshot studio, I, it, this was a, oh my goodness, the ceilings were really low and it was covered with tapestry walls. And I f- stood here, stood right in that spot there. And I thought, I had this overwhelming sense that I was going to change the world again in this place I felt it I felt the energy still there the creative energy from all those years ago and you know where we're sitting today we're certainly on that road to changing the world again wow what a beautiful story <laughs> and and did he know that this is where you'd worked yes he did yeah he what did. a lovely he is, husband <laughs> he is uh well I mean diamonds would have been nice no I'm joking <laughs> I'd have much rather a shop much rather. that's a beautiful story and this is a particularly lovely part of London I mean we've got listeners in 160 countries around the world so how would you describe this part of London would you say this is a street of artisans mm-hmm. so shopkeepers that create product actually are in their shops along this little street in Elizabeth Street all those years ago it was always it was always about artistry and creativity whether it be a delicatessen or a, a little shoe shop or a little stationery um, it's, this has always been little jewels of, of shops. So we have Philip Tracy, the famous milliner, and he is often downstairs creating the next unbelievably beautiful creations for a catwalk. Mm. Um, we have Peggy Portia, who is my dear friend over the road with cupcakes, the galore. Um, we bring scented candles. We have Mauro, the famous and wonderful Italian restaurateur. He does the best pizzas. So I could literally do a whole podcast on Elizabeth Just on Street. Elizabeth Street in I know Belgravia. all their stories. We all work together. We all help each other. And then we just, um, across the street, we have this wonderful new restaurant called uh, Wild at Tart, which is, have you been there? No. It is it's on my hit list. It's, I'm getting there tonight. Are you? Uh, it's beautiful. It's it's so aesthetically beautiful. The food is delicious. You sit on long tables. So this street is all about people bringing their very best to the marketplace and working together to make something work. The perfect fit. How wonderful. I love it. So let's start with your travel diaries. Chapter one is your earliest travel memory. So when I was little, I grew up on a council estate, so nobody went abroad. We went to a caravan in the Isle, on the Isle of Sheppey in Laysdown. That was our holiday every year, or a holiday in Cornwall. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to remember my first, my first memory of travelling outside, and it was when I got married. So the first time I really travelled was my honeymoon. Wow. And I went to the, the Greek islands with my husband. And what made you pick the Greek islands as the first place that you were going to travel abroad? I just, I'd heard about it and um, I was just desperate to get on a plane and go somewhere that was different. And yeah. I fell in love with really? Greece. Yeah. Uh, we went to Rhodes the first time and then over the years we've traveled and we've visited Corfu and in fact we're in Corfu this year for, mm-hmm. for our summer holidays. Oh, There's something, there was something remarkably simple and beautiful and I love the culture. I love the hospitality of the people and the warmness. And we stayed in a tiny, tiny little hotel because we didn't have very much money. It was like full board. And it, I just love the smells. I love the, the morning I would get up and the bright bougainvillea would be, you know, just smiling at me, that purple flower, which I find really strange. It's never had a smell. I find that really odd in life. It's such a beautiful flower, but it doesn't have a smell. 
Hmm, I loved the food. I loved the, um, you know, walking out in the evening, walking through Rhodes Town and finding a little place to have a souvlaki and a, a little bit of uh, tzatziki. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. And, um, and also I fell in love with a stray dog that followed us everywhere. And I wept the day that we had to leave. Canelli, he was called. Oh, <laughs> so that's really stuck with you, that memory of being in, in Rhodes. It was, it was a happy time. Yeah, you know, it was course, um, your honeymoon. It was, yeah, it was honeymoon. And it was, uh, I remember going though to, we went to somewhere called Embona mm-hmm. and it was a, a wine festival and I hadn't really drunk that much wine in my life. Oh boy, did I have a hangover the next morning. <laughs> but it was, and we had to all get in a coach and go all the way up the hill and then all the way down. And I can tell you, I didn't touch alcohol for a very, very long time. <laughs> so you mentioned that you grew up on a council estate. And of course, now you're one of the most successful businesswomen in the world. So it's been an incredible journey for you. Mm. And I know very complex, but is it right to say that going to work with your mum initially gave you that first foot in the door? Um, yeah, I would. I, that would be fair to say. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today without both my parents. You know, my, my father was a brilliant artist and a yeah. magician and I learned lots from him. And she was in the, in the beauty industry. So, you know, and was trained by the amazing Countess Labati. So uh, absolutely, she was, you know, her, her love of the beauty industry uh, I think Madame Labati was the... I made my first face product with Madame Labati. So who's Madame Labati? So she... At the time, way, way back, there were two great skin doyens in London. One was called Countess Chucky, which you may have heard of. Mm-hmm. And she looked after all the elite women. And there was Madame Labati. And so these two women were were responsible for making... that. You know, when, when we talk about being successful as a businesswoman today, it is people like these women who carved out the way for us because they were living in a time where women didn't run businesses and mm. they didn't look after their own money and they didn't do all those things. These two women did do that. Yeah. And Madame Labati, when I first met her, she must have been in her 70s. She was six foot two. She had blood red lipstick, fishnet tights, wow. and she had a very deep voice like that. And she said, Joe, good morning. And, and in we go into the laboratory. And I'd sit on a little stool in the laboratory and watch her work. And, um, and she was working on She would be beauty mixing products. face creams. My mum would be off doing faces. And I would sit with Madame Labati in the laboratory and watch her. And she'd bring down the glass jars and I... The first product I made was a face mask because she looked at me one day and I was only eight. And I, I can remember exactly what I was wearing. I can remember I had little Clark sandals on. I can remember it as though it was yet a little tartan skirt. And I was sitting there and I got the pestle and water down and I mixed up. The, it was a sandalwood face mask and I gave it to her. And she perfect, Joe. And she said, remember, if you're going to do anything in life, do it with utter perfection. Otherwise, there's no point to it at all. <laughs> And actually, wow, yeah. that stayed with me all my life. I'm, I'm always, I always want to be perfect in whatever I create. And if it doesn't meet that, it, I don't want it. I can't be, I don't want to be part of it. Now, I think I read a story that rings true with that about one of the first scents for Joe Love. Is that right? Joe Love's? Uh, Pomelo. Yes. Yeah, it is. And, and it, actually, it's, it's how I've always created, though. So for some of your listeners probably don't know, but I, um, when I, I sold my business to Estee Lauder in 1999 and stayed on as a creative director and founder um, until 2006 when I actually left. And I was in a five-year um, 
it's called a lockout. So you, you don't enter the industry for five years. So I hadn't created fragrance for a very, very long time. And I thought naively and stupidly and a little bit arrogantly that I could just walk straight back in and create again. And it didn't come back naturally. So I hadn't created for five, six years. And there I was wanting to create a new brand. And um, I'd created a, a note and a chord. So just one little note, little citrus note. So a note it, is in the kind of perfume world. How would you describe what a note is? It is just like music. So it's just like a, it's just one single note. You create something and you smell it. And then what the, uh, how I work is like a puzzle. And then I take all the pieces and I move them around the board and to, and uh, smell them. So I was taking a, it was a grapefruit note that we'd worked on, but it wouldn't last. It didn't seem to I wanted something that was so delicate and so beautiful as though you were standing on your tiptoes, but so powerful and strong. I was, what I realize now is I was telling you a story of how I was feeling emotionally. Hmm. That's what I was really doing. Anyway, I couldn't get it right. And, but I went along with the whole plan and we were about to push the button on launching it. And I went off to, to a beach called Parrot Key. And I was, I was feeling very anxious about everything that I couldn't get this fragrance right. And I walked down and I knew I had to stop it. It wasn't perfect. And I hadn't told my husband, Gary. Uh, and I walked down the beach and I just couldn't, couldn't find what it was I was looking for. And I felt I was losing my creativity. I was mm. losing my identity. And as I walked down the beach, there was this baby stingray that, f- that was fluttering by the side of me. And um, she followed me all the way down the beach and mm. swam on the side of the water. And she was so, it was such a, a wonderful moment. And I realized as I walked back up the beach that creativity was by the side of me. And it was just mimicking how I felt. And I looked up and all the answers came to me in a second. Wow. So I went back to the, to the villa and said, do we have to pull Pomelo? It's not ready. But I do have the answers. I know how to fix it. And he did not speak to me all day. <laughs> Cost us a lot of money that to, to pull that because it had already been made and done. And we pulled all those bottles. And I went back, reformulated. And Pomelo is our number one fragrance today. And it's, mm. it's the one that everybody comes in and wants. So it's no regrets. Yeah, I've had regrets. I, I mean, with, with Pomelo, though. Oh no, not with Pomelo. Yeah. No, I mean, that she, was the right thing. It, 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 that's one of those. And it's funny. It's it's again a benchmark. It's what other people look towards. And when you smell pomelo, it really does have that spirit of you think it's going to disappear quickly, but it has this unbelievable strength to it. But it has this wonderful tiptoeing. You you feel like you're walking down the beach with me. Ah, what a poetry. I'll I'll make sure you get a bottle before you go. It really oh, it really is, but it has that gentleness, but that strength and and it, it was my voice. It is my voice saying, "I want to come back. Mm. Let me in." <laughs> And that beach was in Turks and Caicos, it is that right? Oh, it was. It's, that, is a, that is one of my kind of really special places. Yeah. Um, it was, it's the Turks and Caicos um, Parrot Key, and it's a completely white island. There is nothing on it but a beach and a couple of restaurants. And it has the most incredible smell. So you fly into Providencial, then you take a boat in. But when you arrive in the, the lodge to get the boat it has a smell of geranium, like fresh geranium and lavender and this really herby smell to it. And then when you arrive on the island, I, I would know where I was anywhere in the world by, the sm- by that smell. Oh, and it's, so transportative. Uh, 
and your your swimsuits pick it up and your clothes pick it up because you're around it the whole time. It's a magical, beautiful, beautiful place. And as you come in by boat at night, you can see the the turtles um, swimming in. And it's just a peaceful, there's no cars. Um, And it's a beautiful, it was devastated by a hurricane a few years ago and they had to rebuild some of it, but it's it's beautiful. Mm. Let's move on to chapter two, and that is the first place that you fell in love with. Well, uh, you can you can hear I fall in love very quickly yes. with places. I've only fallen in love with one man in my life, which is a bit lucky, but places <laughs> I fall in love with. But I think the place that turned my destiny, Gary and I were only just married, and I was running a skincare clinic, and I had these dreams about creating fragrance. And again, what people probably don't know is I've never trained I'm not a nose. I just had this natural ability to be able to create fragrance. And we went to Grasse uh, in France. And we, I was just so determined to go to where fragrance, the home of fragrance. And I, we stayed in this really cheapy little hotel, which was horrid, actually. But we were at the top of the hill and we had to walk down, I think, to um, the square in the evening. We walked through these little cobbled streets and Grasse is just beautiful. It was all like terracotta walls and turquoise shutters, like vibrant blue. And there was an air about it. And and the way people walked, we found this little square and we sat down and we had steak frites and a carafe of rosé wine. And there was a flower market in the background. And then I looked up and I said, what's that over there? And and someone said, it's the perfume museum. And I walked up into the perfume. That was where I fell in love. And I knew within my heart, this was this was my home and this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And I visit there three times a year. It's for, no. Grass is very different now than it really? was. But you, as you drive into Grass, you open the car window or if you ever go, get a drop down uh, roof and, and breathe in. And in like May, you'll smell the Rose de Mai. You'll smell the harvests coming in. Early morning, you'll sm- smell the jasmine just sitting in the air. And it is probably one of the most beautiful places uh, creatively for me on earth. I mean, listen, if you ever want all the places to go in Grasse and in that region, Mujon is one of the most beautiful villages. And Mujon feeds my soul. There is something about this little place. And it's it's not far. You, you can get everywhere within 20 minutes in a car. And Mujon, you drive up and it's where Picasso had a house. And when he lost his creativity... He went to Mujon and looked out and he felt the energy. And I believe that creative energy stays in places and it's definitely in Mujon. Um, And I went and I stood in the same place as he looked out. And I just have idea after idea after idea. That's a beautiful little Mm. little place. Mujon, Valbon and uh, Saint-Port-de-Vence. So Saint-Port-de-Vence is on the top of a hill and there is a a wonderful hotel called the Column d'Or and it has a lemon tree garden where you can go and have tea. Oh. And I tell you, I sit many times there and have a cup of tea and I create citrus notes over and over and over and over and over again. So you you say that you're not a nose in terms of the, I guess, is that the kind of technical term? But having said that, you have a superhuman sense of smell, right? Yeah, I do. I, I know I do. But... You know, people that go and train for years and years and years, I didn't do that. Mm. And I'm not going to claim that I did because I didn't. And these people work really, really hard and they know all the scientific names and everything. I, because I'm dyslexic, my memory is a really important part of my life. 
and smell are the keys that unlock the memory for me. So when I smell something, I can immediately... So when I was telling you the story of Madame Labati, the reason I can remember everything is the sandalwood powder is the key that unlocks the memory. And I walk into that memory room and I'm able to remember everything. Formulas. I can memorize everything. I can remember it from 20, 25 years ago. But if you ask me... The person I met for dinner to my left and right, what their name was, I probably wouldn't remember it unless there was something really strong in my mind as as to why that memory would be there. So I didn't do any of that training, but I had this ability to see, when when you see colour, you see red or you see white or caramel, I smell. So this, my sweater is is like a a toffee, ambery, charcoaly caramel, um, amber to me. Scent. I can smell scent before I see colour. Wow. And it's the most, so it sounds very weird to you, but it's the most natural thing because it's how I've always lived. So the sense of smell is always the thing that's governing me the whole time. And when I'm creating fragrances, I see single notes and like I was creating, I was creating a gardenia yesterday. And I was just working with one single note and I wanted her to be like an opera. It's beautiful opera. And, but I saw holes in her the whole time. So what I'm doing is I'm looking and I'm trying to find what is it? What else is, do I need to lift that petal note? If I put a jasmine underneath it, what would happen? No, that becomes too floral. What about if I took a sage, a purple sage note and put it on it? What would happen? And then, and in fact, that's exactly what I did. And, I, and it lifted it. But then the sage became too um, medical. So how do I take that part away? So it's like moving pieces of a puzzle around all the time. Oh, my goodness. And I had no idea. It, That's just so incredible. It's the most natural thing in the world to me. I mean, I've done <laughs> yeah. it all my life. So fragrance houses and they're young perfumers and their team love, love working with me because there's no written brief. I just get them to dream. So when I'm sitting there talking with them and, and working with them and creating fragrance together, and this one woman said to me the other day, she's so lovely in Paris, and she said, I love working with you. I love it. And I could just see in her face that she really did mean what she was saying. And she said, it's so, it just stretches me and I'm able to dig deep and, and bring to the surface something that, you know, no one else would really understand, but you understand it. It was, it was really, you know, kind of magical. And does having um, such a strong sense of smell sometimes act as a hindrance for you as well as a, a benefit? I mean, walking around London or anywhere when you're traveling, actually, there are, I imagine, both beautiful scents and quite overwhelmingly unpleasant scents. Um, I try not to be judgmental. Uh, <laughs> so I, I like more smells than I dislike. Things like a really sticky vanilla like I, I, it makes me angry and I get irritated by people who want to work with it. And, um, and yet it's one of the most loved ingredients. So I don't mind vanilla if you put it right in the base of a fragrance and we use the, the, the black seed of it. I don't mind that because it brings tenacity. But that sweet, sticky, candy floss, sugary, ugh. I cannot, and and if I'm sitting next to somebody, I'll have to get up and move. Really? Um, And I don't like bad smells. And I was on a plane once coming back from New York. And unfortunately, and it was a man, he was, he was stinky. And it, and I just didn't want to sit there. So I got up and said, could I move seats? Is that possible? And she said, no, there's no more seats left. I said, okay, I'm getting off the plane. And I know that sounds deaverish, but I didn't want to spend eight hours with a man sitting there farting. I just didn't want to sit there. <laughs> they moved me. 
Well done, Joe. I've, I, I'm impressed. I think Sorry. that was the yeah. right thing to do. <laughs> no amount of spraying cologne was going to get rid of that. And it was like, I'm not sitting here. That's it. Over. So here's a thought. If absence makes a heart grow fonder, then we should all be more absent, right? Well, that's the message from the Travel Club for Hotel Lovers, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. At mrandmrsmith.com, you can book almost 1,400 of the world's best boutique and luxury hotels, those hidden gems and bucket list destinations, all reviewed on the site anonymously by undercover tastemakers. They work with so many of my favorite hotels. From the Newton Somerset, it's a new favourite of mine and a perfect spot for a British staycation, to Six Senses Ziggy Bay on the Omani Coast, the most spectacular location. I was there this time last year and I'm dreaming of returning. Such a beautiful place. You can book really easily online or on the phone with their travel experts who are there for you 24-7. And every guest gets a little something extra too, which I love. So at the Newt, for example, you get a private morning wildlife drive in the beautiful deer park there. Or at Ziggy Bay, you're offered a foot massage or body scrub for two. Heaven! This is definitely the sort of absence that should be encouraged, right? Head over now to mrandmrsmith.com and get £25 off your booking with the discount code TRAVELDIARIES25. You can use this code more than once. Just type TRAVELDIARIES25 when booking. That's TRAVELDIARIES25. Have a great trip. T's and C's apply. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. So chapter three is the trip where you learn the most about yourself. Oh, you'll love this one. So this is recent. This yeah. is recent. Um, so I, 
I suffer from my anxiety and I get myself in a right twirl. And I can normally get myself out of it, but there have been a couple of times in my life that I've needed help. I couldn't get myself out of it. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was just going through, I felt so alone and so isolated. And I think some of it was my son was going off to university and I was grieving. I was grieving as a mum and I was happy for him, but I didn't want that chapter in our life to end. But we all decided that we were going to have a big adventure in life. Uh, before he went off to uni and we chose uh, we were looking for a conservation project to work alongside and I found read this incredible book called there's an elephant in my kitchen and we all love animals in our family and I thought I'm gonna ask and see if we can go there and it's a conservation project in uh, South Africa called Tula Tula and two hours from Durban Uh, 20 years ago an amazing man called Lawrence Anthony um, rescued nine rogue elephants that were going to be shot and put them, rescued them. Uh, and the whole book tells the story and it's the most amazing story. You should, you should interview her for a podcast. She's mm. one of my dearest friends now. Really? The elephants today stand at 29 and they're one herd and they're headed by the most amazing elephant called Nana, who is the matriarch. And Frankie is her second in command. So it changed my life. Those elephants, um, whether you believe this or not, and every day we would go out in the morning, early in the morning and late in the afternoon, and I would just sit with the elephants and you have to stay in the truck. And I'd watch the herd and I ju- they knew I was hurting. I just knew they knew I was hurting. Yeah. The, the ele- elephants can sense, I mean, the stories of, of what I know now about elephants. And all three of us had these incredible experiences in the, um, in the my husband had an experience with um, the rhino called Tarbo. And Tarbo just came and put his head in my husband's lap whenever he saw him to have his ears scratched. This is a four-ton rhino. We were also there at the dehorning of a rhino, which I was so glad I saw, which I wept. I wept that man can do this to these incredible human beings for a horn that does absolutely nothing. And they kill and they massacre whole herds. So... This place changed me and my family. Um, so I now am a proud parent. I, I have an elephant family. They're mine. Mm. And uh, we are securing the land for them at this moment so that that 29 herd will always be able to grow. And they're my family. And I feel responsible for them. And I want to care for them and look after them. And apparently the next elephant to be born, regardless, will be called Joe. Oh, <laughs> So I'll oh, send you a picture. So, so it changed me. They showed me about managing a business. They showed me about leadership and kindness. And it was okay to feel the way they didn't judge me. And I realized that I, was, I thought I was being so judged and I was judging myself. And it honestly did transform me. I faced some of my greatest fears, by the way, because we were ransacked by monkeys in our tent. And I had a severe panic attack. They, were, they, all, they ran off with my Gucci belt and my face cream. They, thank God, threw the Gucci belt back. They ate the face cream. <laughs> and, um, and then we were chased by baboons. So I faced my greatest fears. And I realized that when you face your fears often, they're not as frightening as you think. They mm. really are not. I survived it. Mm. And I became stronger from it. But um, yeah, it changed my life. And they're, they're now our family. Tula Tula. That's so beautiful. And you've been an inspiration to so many people by speaking so openly about another time when... I imagine you faced another 
enormous fear going through your breast mm. cancer diagnosis. If people are going through something similar now, what advice would you give to them? Uh, survival is, a, is an amazing thing. You know, we're, we are born to survive. That's, that's one of the greatest attributes of us. But it's a scary time. That, that diagnosis and the, the run-up to how you get your treatment is one of the most terrifying moments. And what we have to also realize is that although it's happening in our body, our family, my husband was going through all the emotions I was. Mm. He was scared. I was going to die. He was scared. But it was that I would take one day at a time and realize that you need a good team around you and you have to trust them. And whatever I had... Dr. Larry Norton. I went to New York City. I was a, a, a you know very sort of pioneering, and he is the most amazing, incredible doctor in my team that looked after me. And I would just I would survive day by day, whatever you need to do to survive that, get through it, and then realize that it will be a chapter in your life, and you move on. Mm-hmm. You move on. Don't let it become who you are. And I never I've never let my cancer diagnosis uh, ever define who I was. During that that time of chemo, I took chemo every five to six days for a year. No, six months, but I was on chemo for a year. I was to the wall by the end. I was in in and out of intensive care. Then I got shingles and I got, oh. Then I got to the end of one chemo and then we had to do it all over again. Then I got to the end of my treatment, about to be reconstructed, and then I had to have another mastectomy. So it was grueling. Yeah. But I never stopped believing that I would come through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see, and, and you know what, what we do have to realize is most people survive it today. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, unfortunately there, there, there are still, when you have an early diagnosis and you catch it and you do the right treatment, you can go on and you lead a happy, healthy life and raise your family and live your dreams. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned how different scents to you are what evoke different memories. Are there any scents that you find hard now? Because they take you back to that difficult time. I think that vanilla must have come up in in somewhere in uh, in that time. I must really? have smelt it somewhere. Yeah. I don't know where. Um, at the time as well, I was doing a collection of of candles for um, Joe Malone, and it had basil in it. One of them had a lemon and a basil. And oh my god, I came back one day and I was burning them in the apartment because I lived in New York. And the smell made me so, so sick. And if I smell it now, I, I, can, I can feel myself feeling nauseous. Really? It's, the, it's the heavy sort of reminder. And there is one delicatessen in New York that, you, that was just on the corner where we lived. And it has a smell about it. And if I walk past it today, I will reach. It's such a strong, powerful memory to me. I can remember going in there and getting a sandwich. It was a smoked salmon roll. But this place has a smell about it. I don't know. And the smell makes me remember that moment where I was so, and I was very, very sick through chemo. Mm. Um, my white cells would, and my neutrophils would just literally drop to the floor. How terrifying. And I had something called um, myopathy in my hands and my feet. And I remember once when it was snowing in New York, they were so itchy. I took my shoes and socks off and walked barefoot down the street um, in the snow to stop it itching. And it, so they were numb. So New York was a place where you were extraordinarily unwell, but it also eventually led to you, to your healing. So how do you feel about New York? Well, it's my favourite destination. I lived really? there for a year. I know. So, so does it, that move us on to chapter four, your all-time yeah. favourite destination? 
my all-time favourite destination is New York City uh, for so many reasons. And yes, I know, I lived there for a year and I fought cancer, but that wasn't a year full of tears. There were so many happy memories. And my young, it was, my son was only three, three, four at the time. Mm. So we had... Um, I can remember the High Line walk that we used to do. We we did things that I had to be very careful of infection. So I was often in a mask and gloves. So I looked, I had no hair. I looked very poorly. But I remember so many happy moments. And we would go on walks together. And, and he can still remember. I mean, he's now 19. He can still remember all those moments. And we lived right in the middle of the city. I had to live 10 blocks from the hospital because I was always backwards and forwards from them and I wasn't allowed to leave the city either because my white cells would drop very drastically but there were so many you know Central Park and the boathouse and we would go and have Sunday brunch there and the seasons in in New York are very extreme the heat is very hot and the cold is very cold but there's always something to do in New York City and when I when I finished one lot of chemo I was told I could do one weekend away and we, we decided to go to Massachusetts to a place called Lenox. And we stayed in this gorgeous hotel called the Wheatley. In fact, I looked it up yesterday just to see if it was still there. And it is still there. Oh, really? And it's right on the cusp of a national park. And it was Easter. And I'd gone through the garden. I put all little Easter eggs through the trees for Josh to go and find. Oh. I sat on the porch. And there he was, his little basket. And he had little, he looked like Harry Potter when he was tiny because he had glasses because mm-hmm. his eyes crossed. And he's there and he's collecting them. And suddenly this black bear appears <laughs> at the bottom of the garden. No. And I'm going, Josh, Josh, this way, this way. And he's got, I'm just getting the Easter eggs. And I could see, and I could see all the staff coming in just going, don't shout and scream. And we just had to coax him back. And the bear was just strolling along, just down the bottom of the garden. Uh. Um, and so we had we had so many happy memories in New York, you know, brunch. I had lovely friends. Um, we spent two Christmases there. And it was, there were lots of tears. There were lots of tears. There was, um, I think, I think one of my happiest and saddest moments, though, were, and it's, it's, I don't know, when you fight cancer, you really treasure the moment because you don't know if tomorrow you're going to be there. And this was one particular moment. I'd gone to have my chemo and my tests, and I'd uh, I was gone to have blood tests to see if I could have chemotherapy the following day. And I left my son in the playground with a friend, and he was playing. He was playing in the swim park, and I was going to go and pick him up. And I came into the park, and I was just I just felt terrible. And this man came running up, and he said, "Excuse me, are you his mother?" And I thought, "Oh, what has he done?" I said, "Yes." And the man broke down in tears. And he took my hand and he said, you have no idea what your son has done for my son. And I said, where is he? And he said, he's playing with my son over there. And I realized his son was obviously a cancer patient. He had a drip in his arm um, and he was running around with it on a trolley. His head was, was all bandaged. And he said, we come into this park every day. My son's in the Sloan Kettering and no one will play with him because they're scared. Oh. And this morning I walked in and my son, your son walked up and held his hand and said, you want to play? And it's it's something, my son is still that same person. He will walk towards the person who no one wants to talk to. And so New York is a mesa of emotions for me, but yeah. I never fail to be inspired by New York City, creative in New York City, make new friends in New York City. I've cried tears, but I've laughed far many more times than I've cried. Ah. Uh. 
It's lovely, what isn't a it? Love, <laughs> a love letter to a city that has shaped the lives of so many. But I mean, that's a beautiful story. It's, it's, uh, so in the, in the summer, stay in the Surrey because it's got a rooftop terrace and you can watch the sunset. And in the winter, stay in the Lowell because it's got log fires. Great tips. Right, noted. Do you have um, a favourite hotel outside of New York? Are there any ones that you keep going back to around the world? So I would say I am a hotel diva. I, I, don't, I don't settle for second best. Mm-hmm. Going back to Madame Labati, if I don't like a room, I move. Yeah. Um, we stayed, I love the peninsula in Paris. So when I go and work, I stay there. and Because I, I love the corridor of orange blossom trees as you walk through. And there's art everywhere. And there's a beautiful restaurant on the top of the hotel um, where you see the Eiffel Tower. You're right in front of the Eiffel Tower. That's beautiful. And they've just won their first Michelin star. Oh, wonderful. So I love that one. Where else do I love? I love the Puli in Shanghai. Um, I've I heard lo- about that. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. everywhere you look, there is some, because uh, I love being inspired. And when I'm inspired and I feel it, my heart starts to beat. And I often will just sit at the bar on my own and have a glass of wine with my notebook. And I'm writing things. And I love the colour and the vibrancy of Shanghai. Um, I love Dubai. So I stay. I love the one and only. I've stayed there for many, on the palm? many. Um, no, I like the one on the, um, not the one on the palm. I like the old fashioned one. The first one. The first one. I just got back from Dubai, actually. Oh, I, so I, I could live in Dubai. I could live in Dubai. and um, It's such a melting pot of inspiration, oh, isn't it? You get in those little boats and you go over to the markets and you find the spices and uh, I love the people. It's one of, it, it, it truly is one of the safest places. Um, I feel very safe in Dubai as long as you adhere and you're respectful. And I know so many people that live there. Mm. So I love, I love Dubai and I love all that. I could do a whole kind of thing. We go out there for a month every year and I love it. Is there a place that you would say smells best? Parrot Key. Parrot Key, definitely. And I, I, there's, I mean, the peninsula, when I walked up that avenue, it's within the hotel, so you go to a Chinese restaurant, and there's just orange blossom trees all the way up. La Bastide Saint-Antoine. That's one of my favourite places. I always have the same room with the, and it's a, it's a really old French, beautiful, beautiful house. It's got gardens, got lovely little restaurant. But the breakfast room, you sit out on the terrace and you overlook the whole of grass. Oh, and as she wakes up, and I can hear her calling me, and it is just a jewel. And you go down a little little dirt track to get to it, and there's um, there's all cats. So I, there's this beautiful cat that sits right outside the the windows as I'm working, and she'll just she'll come at breakfast time and she sits there. Then she I come in in the afternoon, she's lying on my bed, and I I love all of that. I, yeah. you know, it's kind of typical French but it's you'll, you'll sit outside and you'll have a little kia in the evening as the sun sets over grass and it's always I know that I'll always come back from there with something in my head or in my hand that is would that will ch- could change the world so it's always a the the hotel of opportunity but I could go around the world I mean I just love traveling what's your hidden gem moving on to chapter five is there a place out there that you fell in love with that maybe the majority of us don't know about yeah I'm reluctant to share this one but I will (laughs) thank you (laughs) Uh, it's called Hacienda San Rafael in Seville have you heard of this one I've stayed there yeah it's tell me tell us all about it's a jewel isn't it it's absolutely beautiful I went there many 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 years ago for the first time and it, it was owned at that time by Tim and Cookie Reed Mm-hmm. And it was one of their first years of opening. So it was just the main house. That was all that was there. 
she had two German Shepherd puppies and the rooms were just all off a courtyard, your bathroom. It was so romantic. And Gary and I went for four or five days and it had a swimming pool. And at lunchtime, the, the uh, waiter would come and say, we, at lunch today we have... So it's like staying in someone's house, but you don't have any of the trappings of having to please anyone but yourself. Mm. So he'd go, there's a little little ravioli and there's a little fish for lunch. What would you like? And you, it was just so magical. And breakfast in the morning, you'd come out and there was the little jug with fresh orange juice. And of course, we loved the dogs. The best dogs. orange juice. Oh, the best orange juice, the best pastries. And there was something so beautifully simple about it but so full of luxury and as you drive up to the hacienda it, it, it used to have sunflowers either side yellow sunflowers and so it's a vibrant it's now much larger and we we uh, there's about 10 of us going for a long weekend so oh, i wonderful. i recommended it to lots and lots and lots of people who regularly go and it's just a it's a jewel yeah um and it's not in the centre of Seville, is no. it? You have to go... It, it's quite a good place to do a dual centre trip if you were maybe doing yeah. something in the heart of Seville and then getting some time in the countryside, would you say? And Seville is oh. oranges. And so one of my yeah. favourite notes is orange blossoms. So when you go into Seville, you have to be very careful, actually, because there is a lot of crime in the in the area, pickpockets and things. So you have to be very, very careful. Uh, obviously not in the Hacienda, but it, we would drive in and spend two days in the in the city and walk around and you know, absorb the culture. And it, it's just, it's a very vibrant uh, place to go. And it's a lovely, not far from here for a long weekend. Yeah, perfect. And such good weather most of the time. Yes. Yeah. So in contrast then, chapter six is your worst travel experience. Is there a place that you'd never go back to? Um, you, I, honestly, I struggled with this one. The rest of them were so easy, this one. But I think I'll answer it. Not that I would never go back there, but I had one of the worst experiences and it was skiing. So I'm I'm not a good skier, I have to say, but I have two boys that love mono skiing and doing, you know, um, moguls and all those. I cannot bear it. I can't bear it. So we decided, and so my boys, please, let's go skiing. So we went for Christmas. Off we went and we went with another family and we stayed in Whistler. Uh, oh, in Canada. The ha- Yes. Well, I mean, because you, you're guaranteed snow. We've been, we've been there many times and we, we will go back there because I love the hotel. It's called Chateau Whistler. So I love the hotel. Christmas Day, I get my skis on and I go up the mountain with my boys and I'm just looking at... And suddenly, one of the most good-looking men I've ever seen in my life on a snowboard went past me and I turned and I tripped. <laughs> and I, as I tripped, I went down the hill Ooh, at, dear. and I, ri- I felt my whole leg just rip open. Oh, God. And uh, <laughs> I screamed going all the way down and passed out. I was in such pain. So I ripped my calf muscle from top to bottom. Oh, Joe. Walked down in a blood wagon. Christmas Day. I'd only been up there 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, no. And um, my son was off skiing with some friends. So I said, don't. I was rushed to hospital. Couldn't get my boot. Oh, it was just, it was awful. And I was in a wheelchair then. I couldn't move. I, my, hat, my leg was in um, a grip. And they said to me, you just, you're going to have to just stay in the wheelchair. And it was heavy snowing and we'd, we'd booked um, sledge rides and all of these things. So I was sitting there and I just thought, okay, Joe, no skiing for you. And I thought, okay, bar and spa, bar and spa. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah, I can yeah. survive on those yeah. two. So I booked myself a spa appointment the next day. I'd had so many drugs and I go into the spa and this really irritating woman comes out and starts 
telling me that she can sense darkness in my body. And I'm thinking, oh, I just don't, didn't want, don't want this. I said, would you mind if we, if, if we didn't talk? No, 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 no. I sense this huge darkness in you. In you. And she said, what I'm going to do is just sit up and I want you to breathe in the goodness and out the darkness, in the goodness, out the darkness. And with that, I threw up everywhere. <laughs> And I sat there and said, well, that was the darkness. <laughs> and so I had to leave the spa. So that just left the bar. So I was, uh, every day I watched movies and um, I sat there in front of the fire working out if I owned a hotel, how would I run it? And I did a whole business plan as I was sitting there in the no. bar. Would you ever open a hotel? I don't think I want to own it, but I could definitely run it. Really? I spent two weeks and I worked out how... Um, if you had a, a huge influx of people at breakfast, how you would split it between espresso, hot croissant bars. And I mean, I, I, I did the whole kind of thing and then gave it to them and just said. You um, gave it to them. Yeah, I yeah. love no, that. No, 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 no. They would come and sit and say to me, can, can you, um, what do you think about this and that? They knew what I was doing because I was yeah. chatting about it. Yeah. And so I'd sit in front of the log fire with my books and my thoughts and my notebook. And um, so I would return there because I loved it, but I would never, ever ski again. No, I'm not a skier either, actually. Um, but I was hoping you were going to say that the really good-looking guy saved you at the end. No, of he the... just snowballed off. He oh. was... Well, he after the whole experience to me, he was very ugly. But... <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to chapter seven, that is your next big adventure. Where are you heading to next? Well, I'm going back to Tula Tula to, um, to be with my elephants. One of my big adventures, I haven't planned it, and this is what I would love to do, and I've never been to India. Uh, I don't know why, because it's such a country I know that I will fall in love with because of its colour, its vibrancy, the people, the culture, the food, because I, I love food. Food and fragrance often sit hand in hand with me. Of course, And yeah. there are so many spices and so many ingredients that don't exist in our, you know, if, if, if and I know that I can draw from those and smell them I, I smelt something the other day called beetle leaf oh just the most I'd never smelt anything like it in my life it was amazing smell so I know there are things out there to find and I'd love to there's things some things in my I'd, I'd love to go and see the women being dressed in their saris for a wedding I mean so beautiful all those the tangerines the pinks the turquoise the lime greens the and the beauty I want to see as well that wonderful moment where the women bathe in the evening and they take their children to the water and the sun is setting against I'd, I'd love to see that um I'd love to go and do a cooking course out there and also to see some of the you know the beautiful palaces and uh, be inspired by their art and their culture and just to absorb the people you know to to, to feel to feel I understand them a little bit more. That's, you know, that's one of the things. And also I want to, um, some of the best jasmine comes from, that. I'd love to go and see um, and pick jasmine with them and create a, just see, because see, jasmine, by the way, jasmine is one of the most amazing flowers. She, just like a person, she will give you everything she has. She, she will take herself to the point of almost dying, giving her, her your petals and everything so that the next flower can exist and for me that's what women should do for each other mm. you know what yeah, yeah you know he stands to your left and your right so jasmine to me is is a, a note that is about women who are beautifully strong and wonderful and who will just give you know we know people like that in our life who give and give and give and give and give 
and jasmine signifies and i think that that whole journey into india could be amazing with this voice of jasmine in the background well i can't believe we're on to our final chapter that's chapter eight and that is what is at the top of your bucket list um oh bucket lists to me mean um time's nearly up so i've never had a bucket list i've but i've always treasured every um do, do you know what it's to be honest, it's not travel. My top of my bucket list is to see my son happy. Oh, it really is. Yeah. Um, he's now in university uh, elsewhere in the world, and I don't see him every single day. But the top of my bucket list is to spend as much time and as many memories creating. He and I love art. Uh, so wherever we are in the world, we find a museum and we walk together and we talk about the spirit um, one, one of the most mo- moving moments was a uh, woman in gold in the Neue Gallery in New York City. And he and I, was every time we go, we'll spend two hours in that music and just sit in awe. So the top of my bucket list is to see my boy happy, come through university, follow his dreams and meet someone who he is really happy and spends the rest of his life with. Lovely. Oh, thank you so much. Jane Malone, those were your travel diaries. What an honour to meet you. Thank you. Oh, that was Joe Malone. We really could have carried on chatting for the rest of the day, I think. I hope you enjoyed hearing about some of her many travels and all the destinations mentioned by Joe. I've included in this episode's show notes. You can visit the beautiful Joe Love store on Elizabeth Street in Belgravia and you can also shop online on Space NK or Cult Beauty. The Rose Petal 25 Fragrance Paintbrush, which is perfect, by the way, for traveling because it's the scent in a smaller size. And the Rose Petal 25 Home Candle are some of the latest additions to tempt you. If you liked this episode, why not subscribe and get new episodes weekly? You can do that for free on all the podcast apps like Apple, Spotify and CastBox. And to find out who's on next week's show, come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels easier even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.